Football has been sounding very different recently. While the default noise coming out of your TV may sound like this, a few clicks on the remote reveals the slightly strange 2020 reality. English stadiums have been fanless since football returned on June the 17th, with plans to gradually reintroduce them at the start of October cancelled by the second coronavirus wave. The clubs themselves have felt the squeeze, particularly as you move down the football pyramid. And it's not just the clubs. Football has a wide impact on the fortunes of the likes of pubs, retailers, broadcasters, sponsors. The list goes on. Today we'll be hearing from Kieran Maguire, author of The Price of Football, and from Chief Executive Danny Macklin at Leighton Orient on the extent of the damage caused. From the Investors Chronicle, I'm Megan Boxall. And I'm John Human. Welcome to Not Your Normal Finance Show. When was the last time you went to a football match? Can you even remember? Just about. It was February. It was wet. I stood in a muddy puddle uh, on the, uh, the edge of Malden and Tiptree's pitch. I was going to uh, say, is this your non-league football? Yeah, I'm a bit of a non-league fan. <laughs> <laughs> I like the experience. Closer to the action. Yeah, yeah, that is... Uh, yeah, non-league football's great, but my last football match that I went to, I think... I was in a box. It was the other end of the scale. It was the Champions League. Tottenham's Champions League run coming to an end. And how big is Tottenham Stadium? Oh, my brother knows. I can't remember. And how much did they spend on it? (laughs) They spent a lot of money on it. But, as you can read in my article on the Investor Chronicle website, Gareth Bale from Tottenham to Madrid and back, and a lesson in prudent accounting, it was money well spent. Tottenham has, I mean, it didn't really cost them much in performance in their couple of seasons at Wembley. Also, my, it was much easier to get tickets to go and watch Tottenham play at Wembley. So I quite enjoyed their couple of seasons in, uh, in West London. And then they've got this amazing stadium, which is drawing in the fans. Great beer, great food. It's unfortunate now that we can't visit it. But I like looking at it on my journey home every day. <laughs> Indeed. Well, more than typically, I think their capacity is about 400. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's still a great experience. The thing about non-league football, though, is it was actually able to go on and you were able to go and watch it. I mean, I play, I, I paid to go and watch a ladies' non-league football game um, a month, about a month ago. On a, it was actually an FA Cup game on a Sunday. I paid £3 to go and watch Hartford Town play Royston in the FA Cup. And, uh, yeah, so that was... People paying to go into a football stadium, buying beer and buying hot dogs at the stadium at a time when we haven't been able to go into a into a actual stadium for months and months. Indeed, well, I, I haven't been for a while, but I did notice that that Morden's, uh, crowd base was uh, was a little bit bigger uh, now than it had been when I was going before the first lockdown. So they used, used to get about 200, 250, and it's gone up to about three fifty. Mm, well, people can't go to the yeah. yeah. But, I mean, just because people can't go to the Premier League doesn't, hasn't stopped them from spending. Uh, close to a billion pounds on new players this summer. And, uh, I mean, it helps being backed, in some cases, by, by countries. Um, but it's, it's the middle leagues that seem to be being really squeezed. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you know, non-league have been able to, to, to stay open to a certain extent. So, you know, they're, they're, they're still getting, getting the ticket money rolling in. The Premier League still still very much supported by, you know, very large... Um, TV revenues it's and, the, sponsorship. Uh, and sponsorship and uh, sponsorship. It, yeah, it's those middle clubs where where actually the the crowd and the ticket revenue 
actually matters who, mm. who will really be feeling this. Yeah, well, we sent Alex Janio to speak to the author of The Price of Football, Kieran Maguire, to break down the losses for clubs in England. As far as the Premier League is concerned, it generates around about 13% of total revenue from ticket sales. So it does have the benefit and the insulation of very lucrative broadcasting and commercial contracts. Uh, but that uh, 13% of income is still £680 million. So you take away that from, from any business, and it's still going to have some concerns. As you drop down the, the football pyramid, the reliance upon matchday income increases. Um, and by the time we get to League Two, probably around about 40 to 50% is, is being generated from ticket sales. And also, those clubs tend to be reliant on local sponsors and advertisers who rightly say, well, if the matches are taking place before no crowds, what's the point of us advertising at the stadium? Because nobody's going to be seeing our products uh, being displayed there anyway. We also spoke to Leighton Orient, which is another club I used to watch regularly when I lived in East London. They are struggling at the bottom of the EFL pyramid in League Two. Their chief executive, Danny Macklin, spoke to John Rogers, who's put this podcast together today, about the impact of losing matchday revenue. Yeah, matchday revenue is obviously a broad term. Uh, you can go all the way from including season card revenue. Uh, you know, we, we had last season 4,300 season cards. We're blessed and lucky at the Brower Group Stadium to have 3,600 just over, which is something quite phenomenal. Uh, so we obviously lose uh, a chunk of that value. Uh, nothing is more important than them missing out on the football. Uh, obviously, the paying... Uh, spectator on a game-by-game -game basis for both home and away crowd and then when everyone's in the stadium you know we would have an average of about £2.20 spent on uh, in the concessions and in the bars area per spectator and that's something that we've grown over the last couple of years so you lose all of that you lose your retail sales your program sales your hospitality sales your secondary tertiary spends it just adds up to a, quite an astronomical figure uh, for every game that we sadly played behind closed doors. We've made sure as a club, through the phenomenal support of our very engaged uh, and experienced board, that we've treated every employee the same, whether you're the, the star striker or whether you're an office member, staff, whatever it is, everyone's been treated in the, sa in, the, in the same way. So we've been very fortunate we've been able to continue to pay uh, everyone in in full and on and on time something that we, we obviously want to make sure continues to happen we've had to make sure that we've cut our cloth accordingly and we've had to make some difficult decisions uh, in recent weeks and months as every club and every business has had to do as well uh, but we've made sure that we meet weekly uh, with our players and that's players and staff all in the same zoom call to make sure that we're keeping everyone as engaged with the finances that are within the game and the finances that are unique to our club. There has been talk of a bailout package for the EFL from the Premier League in the last few days. £50 million, to be precise, in grants and loans is the proposal. Here's Kieran again. Well, uh, support to date has come from two sources. First of all, there has been central government support in the form of the furlough and the tax delay legislation introduced by Rishi Sunak. This, from a cash flow perspective, has assisted those clubs uh, to, to deal with the, the ravages of COVID over the summer. Um, there were quite, uh, quite significant uptake of, uh, of the furlough scheme, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's not enough in, in its own right. 
the, the other area of support has come from the Premier League itself to clubs in Leagues 1 and 2. This has been in the form, first of all, of advancing money in terms of the current year uh, uh, solidarity payments, which are given by the Premier League to all clubs that are not part of uh, the 20 clubs at the top tier. Um, and I think last week uh, some form of agreement was made with regards to a £50 million package, um, I think of which £20 million was in the form of grants and the other £30 million was in the form of loans. So again, this will help those clubs in League One and League Two from a cash flow perspective. So I, I think we, those clubs should be reasonably confident of, of surviving for a few more months at least. And, and we don't know what's going to happen with regards to government allowing fans to return. So uh, I think that money will give some breathing space. The, the, the major issue is uh, that the championship, the division below the Premier League, what we're seeing there is that the clubs were losing substantial sums of money. Uh, wages were 107% of revenue in the pre-COVID environment. And um, there is tensions between uh, the, the clubs at the bottom end of the, the Premier League, the likes of Burnley, Crystal Palace, Brighton and so on, and the clubs in the, in the championship. And, and the reason for this is that ultimately they're, they're all competing for the, the same spots in, in the Premier League. So uh, trying to work out some form of equitable package there is difficult. Uh, government is very reluctant to provide any form of assistance in the championship. Um, it's difficult to, to sell uh, any form of financial uh, assistance in, for uh, an organisation. The, the average salary in the championship is £800,000 per annum for a first-team player. Uh, that's, that's not going to go down well if, if you are trying to justify uh, increased government spending to the taxpayer. Um, there is now talk about the Premier League offering a loan interest-free to the championship clubs uh, to help them from a cash flow perspective. If that is accepted, then I think we should be reasonably confident that clubs will have, uh, certainly in, in the short to medium term, the ability to, to survive. What happens post-COVID when those loans have to be repaid is, is another issue, but uh, at present, the aim is trying to kick the problem further down the road. Danny Macklin is hoping for fans returning soon to boost their coffers, but for now, he's welcomed the Premier League bailout. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, uh, Rick Parry, who's led uh, from the front on this uh, with support from Dave Baldwin, obviously CEO of the EFL. Uh, I know they're in continued negotiations and discussions with the Premier League. Uh, I'm confident and hopeful that that will reach the desired conclusion in, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, at the moment, a grant of obviously 20 million was offered by the Premier League with 30 million of conditional loans. Uh, I know I speak for, for our club, but probably most clubs as well, is that you know, we, we, we expect and hope that, that all of that 50 million will be in the form of grants and that will make a some difference, it won't make all the difference, but some of the difference of the lost income that League One, League Two clubs have uh, have suffered and continue to suffer. Finally, before we leave the club themselves, for investors that are football clubs, for you to put your money into, perhaps most famously in the UK, Manchester United, but also around Europe, Celtic, Juventus, Borussia Dortmund, Ajax, Roma. Also, I mean, Tottenham Hotspur is actually available for investors, but it's very 
funny little market and it's probably not advisable. But it's there if you really want to, if you want to follow the greatest, greatest club in the UK. Here is Kieran Maguire again on whether listed clubs may survive the coronavirus pandemic better than others and if more clubs will follow their lead down the line. I think the, the compliance costs uh, in respect of a listing will make it uh, probably a, a negative decision for, for all but the elite clubs. Um, we, we've seen historically clubs such as Tottenham Hotspur, Millwall, Sheffield United, Hearts Midlothian, uh, they, they have all been on the market in the past and that they've found it to be quite a traumatic experience because the demands of the markets are more focused upon financial return and you've got to try to balance that against uh, sporting success which is demanded by by fans often demanded by uh, you know, significant shareholders at the clubs as well so um, unless a, a club reaches a particular threshold in terms of income or has the ability to effectively transcend the sport in the sense that uh, it, it can make money regardless of sporting success then there will be a reluctance to, to join the market. I mean, there has been talk about Liverpool perhaps getting some form of listing, but that could be via its, its holding company, Fenway Sports Group, which, which also has ownership of uh, US sports franchises. Famed fund manager Nick Train spoke to Leonora Walters of the Investors Chronicle a few weeks ago, and he is a holder of Manchester United. He gives his advice for putting money into football. So, I mean... Not that this has been a notably successful investment for us so far, um, uh, at least in, it, in its current iteration, but, but we have a holding in Manchester United um, in, in our UK funds. Um, and, ah, you know, I mean, I, I make no predictions about how the share price is going to do or even how the football team is going to do in the short term. I haven't the faintest idea, but I know that owning equity in a, in a company of devotion and enthusiastic interest amongst fans and, you know, the, the, the games are followed by so many hundreds and hundreds of millions of people around the world... We know that that is a hugely valuable thing. And you can listen to that full interview on the Best Scrum website. Yes, we've spoken lots about football and the impact of lockdown and coronavirus on the football clubs themselves. But as we mentioned earlier, there are lots of other industries who've been badly affected by this, uh, this shutdown, essentially, of, uh, of football as we know it. I mean, we haven't been able to go to the pub and watch football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably... Personally, the most heartbreaking of the of the situations. I, what did we watch? Last, what did I last watch in, in the pub? As you well know, Tottenham versus West Ham. Day. Yeah, no, it was a great day, actually. It was an absolutely <laughs> fantastic day. Although I couldn't go to the pub because I live in Essex, which by that point had gone into tier three. Well, yeah, so I, being in Hopshire, I was only in tier one. And we, uh, yeah, so we went to the pub. We had a great day, but it is it was a you-must-book-the-pub-in-advance situation. It's not the same as just going in and having a beer. And the pub was obviously, it was just table service. Normally, Tottenham West Ham 
the pubs in Hartford would be absolutely rammed because standing. if you live in Hartford, you are either a Tottenham fan or a West Ham fan. Absolutely, standing room only. I remember the days yeah. in pubs, beer flying in the air when girls went in, and there would have been beer flying in the air in the air at the end of that game. Apparently, sure. there were a few fights in the old, <laughs> <laughs> the old pub in uh, in Hartford, even though they were half empty. So yeah, there was beer flying in the air in my lounge. <laughs> 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 but yeah, they they do miss out on on match day. I mean, some some pubs more than others. Local pubs they they really benefit when there's a big game on and and the crowds come in and they're ordering several pints. For it. It's not just a go down to the pub for one or two. You're there for the whole game. You're there for ninety minutes plus gloating time. So it's a it's a full afternoon session and and it's a it's good business for yeah. a lot of pubs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, the actual cost of buying the Sky subscriptions, the BT Sport subscriptions for pubs is absolutely massive. I think I found a figure that on average a pub will spend £20,000 a year buying, buying these, uh, the rights to show these things in their pubs. But that just shows you how much, how much value they potentially add to a pub. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And if you're, if you're hunting around for your pub to go to on a Saturday afternoon, one that shows live sport is, uh, is, a, is a good one, especially for the people who don't want to spend money, their own money on a bt or a sky sports subscription because at the moment most most uh most international sports are going that way they're going behind paywalls it's l- there's less on the traditional broadcast channels yeah absolutely we saw the uh i mean going a bit you know off topic international rugby the autumn internationals around on amazon for yeah. example which is, which is extraordinary. i think amazon even uh, played some football earlier in the year yeah yeah there's a real problem with um with that, though, which we found at the weekend when we were trying to watch the rugby, is that if your internet isn't good enough, streaming your rugby and your football is really not a very good experience compared to Sky and BT, which have invested so much in their football and making their broadcasting just unbelievable. And, I mean, the apps are incredible and the detail and the stats that you can get from from these these companies... Um, and Amazon aren't quite there yet, but they've got the money to pay for the rights, and that's ultimately what matters, and that's where the Premier League will go, especially if they've had difficulty this year. They're going to want the company that pays the most for the TV rights next year and the year after that, so maybe that won't be Sky and BT. Yeah, maybe not, maybe not, who knows. It has become a bit of a weird thing to watch, though, on TV. Um, you know, you see these these teams playing at big empty stadiums and can hear the crowd. And mm. I'm not sure about this. I, I mm. we actually turn it off and listen to to the the the, the reality. Listen of the to the players. Yes. I don't like being able to hear the players. You don't I, like it? No, I prefer having the fake crowd noise, even though it does look weird. But I think with football, it doesn't seem to matter quite as much as it does with others. Others, the tennis is terrible without a crowd. A lot of the tennis entertainment <laughs> is the reaction of the crowd. Um, so that is not good to watch at the moment. That's true. I was Obviously. watching the Masters over the weekend, which obviously had no patrons there yeah. watching, uh, watching on the side of the course. Actually, the coverage was brilliant because, because of the way they could set up the cameras without crowds being there. Mm. But, the, but the atmosphere was obviously very different. And mm. I think that matters, that matters in football. And, you know, we've seen sort of freakish results this year. You know, does the away, uh, the away problem for clubs, you know, does it even matter anymore? Yeah, well, home advantage doesn't seem to be quite such a big thing when, when stadiums are empty. Um, which is, yeah, which I suppose makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, the, some of the results are, have been extremely odd this year in the Premier League. Yeah, it's 
especially a nice three-all draw. (laughs) (laughs) Which we can talk about again. Yeah, when Gareth Bale had come on, if there'd been a crowd there, that would have... uh, He scored that goal. He might have scored, yeah. But let's, let's, let's park that one. Yeah. That painful memory. So pubs and... The TV, the broadcast industry, and of course the sponsorship that goes with that, badly affected. And the other area is merchandise. People buy their club strips in a season, whether they can go to their club. I mean, people have 20 years worth of Tottenham shirts, and they buy the, buy the new shirt every year. But this year, you're less likely to buy your merchandise. You're less likely to go down to see a sports director or JD Sports and buy your Tottenham strip if you're not going to be able to go to games. Yeah, didn't I hear something about sports directs having a row with... Uh with one of the football clubs about the prominence of football kits in its stores. I can't remember which club it was, um, but it was about, um, for fear of picking the wrong one, I won't say which one Don't I think say it which is. Club. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, they were saying that they want their football shirts to be right at the front of the Sports Direct stores. And Sports Direct said, well, no, because no one's buying them at the moment. Everyone is buying, I mean, this was before this second round of lockdown, everyone was buying golf equipment and cycling equipment and tennis equipment because they were the sports that you can do. And they weren't interested in football shirts. So they go to the back of the stores and Sports Direct put, gives greater prominence to the kit that's actually being used at the moment. Yeah, I'd imagine that that sort of holds true for, I mean, not just sort of replica kits, but but actual, you know, sports wear, sports equipment, boots, whatever, Mm. you know, the the sports that you can't play. I mean, I can't imagine they're selling a lot of football boots at the moment. No, although until this lockdown happened, kids were able to to play Saturday football and and things like that, but not Saturday rugby. So I think rugby, grassroots rugby's really taken a knock this year. Um, And grassroots football, maybe not quite as much. But, um, but, yeah, it's definitely not a time to be buying a load of kit, whether, yeah, whether it's replica shirts or football boots. Mm. I mean, we'd actually, as you know, uh, listeners from previous podcasts, uh, I've spent a lot of time at Golf Club this summer. We've had a, we had a lot of new members coming in who were, would otherwise have spent their Saturdays and Sundays playing, playing you know, uh, grassroots football. Mm. And a lot of them have given up and have taken up golf instead. Mm. And will they go back? You know, has this permanently damaged... The, the industry, the the the, uh, the football industry, right down to the bottom. You know, arguably, it, it really could have done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, especially if you invested in kit, I mean, if you bought yourself some golf clubs, you're probably going to want to keep playing golf. And yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a problem. The the grassroots issue is is definitely big because changing that behaviour, it doesn't take long to fall out of rhythm of going to your Saturday football and even your Saturday cricket in the summer if you've taken up golf or if you've taken up something else. So, yeah, maybe this this could be a, a difficult time for football in general in the UK. Mm. And, you know, I mean, just going to watch football is an expensive hobby. Yeah. Uh, you know, even, even Morden and Tiptree cost me a tenner to get in. Mm. Um, um, you know, we are facing difficult economic times. So, so you know, when we can go out again... You know, will people have the disposable income to be spending the money they had previously on going to watch Premier League football? I don't know. Yeah, but we do love football in this country, and I will certainly be going back to the pubs and hopefully to the stadiums at some point when, when we're allowed to again. And I'll be going back to the muddy puddles of Morden and Tiptree, <laughs> and I'll also be, no doubt, heading to the London Stadium at some point to watch West Ham actually get the winner against Tottenham next time. No, not at all. Gareth Bale will put it away next time, that's for sure. He's in, he's, in the stride, he's in the stride now. Yeah, sure. We, we, we'll see. Um, anyway, that's, that's all we've got time for this week. We hope uh, you found that interesting. Um, and we'll be back again talking about video gaming. Mm, yeah, another 
another topic. I don't necessarily so know so much about video gaming, but we'll find some experts who do. Absolutely. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.